But one of my favorite things to do this time of year is to wake up early and turn on my Christmas tree and grab a cup of coffee and my Bible and spend time with Jesus. And I don't know what it is, but the Christmas lights bring the presence of God. I just love the way my house feels more magical. Does anyone else just feel like they want to leave them up? Like, okay, I have a few people in here who understand this. So this week I was reading in Philippians, and I want to read to you um, what I read. Philippians 4, 6, it says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. I read this and then I reflected. I pondered it. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and then thank him. And then what will happen? Peace that you can't understand. And in that moment, situations came to my mind. Some issues at work, a strained relationship, a health issue that's popped up over the last few months, one of my kids. And these issues were things that I had worried about. And I felt the Father inviting me to follow his instructions right there in Philippians 4. This is where I'm so thankful that our God is alive. He's active. He's not distant and aloof. He is close and he's full of wonder. Well, last week we began our brand new series, which we've entitled Wonder, where we began to look at God's wonder. And we defined that as special divine acts. Specifically last week, we looked at the wonder of God's word, his gift of prophecy. And we looked at the fact that we believe our God is a speaking God. He has spoken and he is speaking. And today we are going to explore the idea of the wonder of God's work, the gift of his power. And we're going to see that he worked and he is working. Now, many of us are in situations, we're in messes where we need God to act. We need him to move. We need him to work on our behalf to bring hope, to bring healing, to bring restoration. We need him to move. And it's so easy in these places where we need God to work for us to worry. Because so often, God's work doesn't happen in the time we think it's going to happen or the way we think it's going to happen. And so we want to spend some time today looking at the way that God works. We're going to ask two questions. Okay, the first question is this. Where do you need God to act? Where do you need him to move? Where do you need him to work on your behalf? It could be with school. It could be with your job. It could be with your health. It could be with your finances. It could be with your family. Where do you need the miraculous, the wonder-working power of God to show up in your life? Now, this is important because I believe that each of us are supposed to be in touch with this place where we want God to work. And right now, some of you might think like, I don't know, I, there's nothing like personally that's in my life right now that I feel like I need God to work in. Well, the good news and the bad news is that messes aren't just in our lives personally, they're in the world around us. And so for some of us, there may be an area of the world, a problem in our society, in our community, in your neighborhood that Jesus is bringing to your mind right now. 
Where do you want to see the wonder-working power of God? That's the first question. And the second question is, how do we partner with him as we wait for him to move? Because as we learned last week, some of those prophecies, God's word, some of those took 700 years to fulfill. And so often God's timing is different than our timing. How can we partner with him? Because our participation in this whole thing is going to be very, very important. Well, the good news is that the wonder of God's work is beautifully on display in the Christmas story because God takes ordinary people in the midst of their messy lives and he works powerfully. And today, as we study part of the Christmas story, we're going to see the wonder of God's work and we're going to learn how we can participate in the process. God works in our messes with power and we get to partner through prayer. And I'm going to explore this today. And so I'm going to invite Holy Spirit to come and to be the teacher. And so Holy Spirit, we say welcome, you're welcome here today. Come and be the teacher. Give us ears to hear what you have to say about your work, about our worry, and how we can partner together in prayer. Amen. Okay, well, something I want to establish first right off the bat is that we believe in a wonder-working God. We believe in the miraculous, supernatural, divine work of God. In fact, if you read the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, we can see story after story of God's miraculous power breaking into lives, healing people, setting people free, releasing them into their destinies. This is a powerful book. We believe that our God is a working God. He has worked and he is working because we believe that miracles are for today. Now, what's so important about the Christmas story is that it introduces us to the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is God's rule and reign. And in God's kingdom, people are healed, they're set free, and they're sent to do the miraculous. Miracles and divine action are commonplace in God's kingdom. It's an incredible place. It's where heaven comes into earth. Now, if we would study the kingdom a little bit more, when Jesus comes, he brings the kingdom of God. But the kingdom is here, but not fully here. It's called the already, but the not yet. And this actually makes sense, right? Because there's still messes in our lives and in the world. There's still brokenness and there's still sickness and there's still pain. And this is because the kingdom is here, but not yet fully here. And this is going to be important for us as we think about the messes that are in our lives and how we can participate. Because this is what I'm putting forward to us today. I believe that God is inviting us into a very powerful tool. I believe that prayer is a pathway for God to work in our lives. Now, what is prayer? Prayer is simply communicating with God. And actually, if we looked in the scripture and we looked at the different words that they use for prayer, often it's trans translated ask. Okay, so prayer, it has lots of purposes. It has lots of different forms. And what that often does for us is we get confused, we get overwhelmed, and sadly, many of us stop praying altogether. And today, there is no condemnation, but there is an invitation. There is an invitation actually to partner with God in prayer as we wait for his wondrous ways and his wondrous work in our lives. 
And so I want to take a look at the Christmas story, and I want to unpack it a little bit. I want to see the way that God worked in these people's lives and how actually prayer is woven into that story for us. And so we're going to jump to the Christmas story now. And right now, what you need to know at the beginning, the context of the Christmas story, is that the people of Israel are in a mess. They are being ruled by the Roman Empire, and it is an incredibly oppressive time for the Jewish people. They are being taxed heavily. They're being controlled and their deepest desire is that the Messiah would come. So the people of God, they have the wonder of God's word. They have all these prophecies that a Messiah is coming that will free them. But they're waiting on God's work. They're waiting on his power to break through. I like to call this the messy middle. And I think a lot of us are in this place right now. You've maybe had some words about breakthrough that's coming. But you're in a season of waiting and often that leads us to worry because waiting and worry, they're friends. And so I want to take a look at this story and I want, to, I, I want you to know that the people of God, it is a challenging time. It's an anxiety-filled time. And this is the stage in which we begin the Christmas story. Now, we're going to watch a short video today from the Bible Project. This is an incredible free online resource that anyone can, can use. It's, you can Google it. It's on YouTube. You could watch it with your friends, your family, your small group. These videos are amazing. And this is going to be Luke 1. And they're going to show, he's going to show you and tell you a little bit of what's happening so you can turn your attention to this screen. The Gospel of Luke. Luke investigated many of the earliest eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus and then composed this account. And the story begins up in the hills of Jerusalem, the place where Israel's ancient prophets said that God himself would come one day to establish his kingdom over all the earth. In the city is the temple run by the priests. And one of them, named Zechariah, was working in the temple when he had a vision that freaks him out. An angel appears and says that he and his wife will have a son. What's this all about? Well, Zechariah and his wife, we're told, are very old. They've never been able to have children. And Luke's setting up a parallel here with Abraham and Sarah, the great ancestors of Israel, because they too were very old and could never have kids. Yet God gave them a son, Isaac, which is how the whole story of Israel began. And so Luke's implying here that God's about to do something that significant for this people once again. The angel tells Zechariah to name the son John. And then he says that this son's going to fulfill a promise of Israel's ancient prophets, that somebody would come one day to prepare Israel to meet their God when he arrived to rule in Jerusalem. Because right now, Jerusalem is ruled by the Romans. Yeah, specifically, it's governed by a man named Herod, who's a puppet king under the Roman Empire. And so the Jewish people wanted nothing more than to be free and govern themselves in their own land. So this is shocking news. Everything's going to change. God's on his way. But how is he going to arrive? Well, to find out, Luke takes us out of Jerusalem and then up into a small town in the hills of an out-of-the-way region called Galilee. And there we find a young woman named Mariam, or we call her Mary. She was engaged to be married. And then an angel appears to Mary saying that she's going to have a son. She's supposed to name him Jesus, which in Hebrew means the Lord saves. And he will be a king like David who will rule over God's people forever. And then Mary asks, okay, well, how is this possible? Because I'm a virgin. And she's told that the same Holy Spirit that brought life and light out of darkness in Genesis chapter 1 is going to generate life inside her womb. 
God is about to bind himself to humanity through the conception and the birth of the Messiah. And so Mary goes from some backwoods no-name girl to the future mother of the king? Exactly. In fact, she sings a song about how this reversal of her own social status points to a greater upheaval to come. Through her son, God's going to bring down rulers from their thrones and exalt the poor and the humble. He's going to turn the whole world order upside down. (laughs) Well, it's such a powerful and unlikely story, isn't it? And the wonder of God's work is on display all throughout the story. There is a lot of supernatural elements that I want to take a little bit of time to unpack. And we're going to look specifically at Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary. And we're going to see how God worked and how they partnered with God through prayer. Okay, so we're going to start first with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, if we would go to Luke 1, which that's going to be our text today. If you have a Bible, you can go there. You can go there on your your app. If we we read the text there, actually, we we learned that Zechariah and Elizabeth are faithful people, but they have one major disappointment in their life. They've never been able to have a child. Now, this would have been an incredibly painful and messy part of their story because there was a lot of stigma around women who were barren. There was a lot of judgment. Was there some type of secret sin that was causing God to judge them to not have a baby? And so this would have been a very painful part of their story. In fact, Luke goes out of his way to make sure that the reader knows they were faithful. There was no hidden sin. And so they have this kind of sad story, right, where there's this pain that has yet to be resolved in their lives. And and theologians believe they're between the ages of 60 and 80. Okay, and back then, just to be 100% clear, that was past childbearing age, okay? I don't know too many 60 to 80-year-olds who are worried about birth control. So this was, this was a long-forgotten dream at this point. I want to pick up in the story when Zechariah actually goes into the temple. I want to read a little bit of what happens in his response, and we're going to unpack that a little bit. So I'm going to start in verse 8. This is what it says. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple. He was a priest, just to be clear. For his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the, of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. I'm going to jump down to verse 15, and he'll talk a little bit more about John. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. This is a powerful encounter, a work, a divine act in Zechariah's life. Okay, so again, just to help us with the context, Zechariah going into the the Holy of Holies to burn the incense, this would have been a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This would have been the only time he did this. And when he goes in to burn the incense, what are the people of God doing outside the the sanctuary? They are praying. And what are they praying for? They're praying that the mess that they're in with the Roman government would be fixed. They're praying that the Messiah would come. 
And while he's in there, this angel appears to him, totally freaks him out. I mean, I would be freaked out too. I don't know about you, but angels don't generally appear to me at work. And the angel says, you know, fear not. And I have good news. God has answered your prayer. Now, I'm, I'm not going to make you raise your hand to like admit to this, but a lot of people misinterpret this. They think that Zechariah was praying that Elizabeth would be pregnant. No, she's old. This dream has been put to rest. He's not praying for his wife to have a baby. He's praying for the Messiah to return. This would have been a very important part of Zechariah's job as a priest. Part of his role was to pray that the Messiah would come to deliver the people of Israel. But it gets even better than that. Lord has heard your cry. Your people are about to be set free. And I feel like the angel's like, but wait, there's more. It's like an infomercial. There, there's more. You and Elizabeth have been invited into the work that God's doing. You will have a son. Your son will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will be a prophet and he will prepare the way of the Lord. This would have been incredibly mind-blowing. This is a power encounter. This is a work of wonder in Zechariah's life. And there's a couple of things I just want to pull out of this story. I think good things for us to consider as we are waiting for the Lord to work in our lives. I think we need to get a lot more comfortable with waiting on his work. And I'll preach to myself first. Waiting and the wonder-working power of God often go hand and hand. You know, I think I have the anti-spiritual gift of impatience. Just go ahead and raise your hand. Yes. Impatience. You know, I know that his timing is not my timing, obviously, and yet I still feel impatient. And I felt there was an invitation to each of us to know that wonder, working power, and waiting, they go hand in hand. And what do Zechariah and Elizabeth teach us? You know, it would have been so easy for them to abandon their faith. It would have been so easy for them to abandon one another. Did you know that Zechariah could actually divorce Elizabeth because she was not able to bear him a son? And yet they remained faithful to God. They remained faithful to one another. And I believe that this is actually a lesson for us as we wait. Let's not grow weary in our relationships. Let's not grow weary in our love for our Father. It's a beautiful picture, actually, of what I believe God's inviting us into. I am sure that Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed hundreds of times for her to have a baby, and yet it didn't happen. But they kept on praying that the Messiah would come. You know, we only know of two problems. I'm sure they had a lot of problems in their life, right? But we only know of two. We know of the barrenness, and we know that they were ruled by the Romans. And I think what can happen to us is when God doesn't work the way we think he's going to work, then we think he stopped working altogether. And so we stop communicating to him. We stop praying to him. We stop asking him for what we need because we think, well, what's the point? Prayer doesn't work. That's not the way that it works. And I think Zechariah and Elizabeth, they show us this beautiful picture of tenacity and faithfulness. And I believe there's an invitation to each of us today. Are there some things in your life that you've laid down, some dreams that maybe are, have gone silent, or maybe you've even believed those dreams are dead? I believe today Holy Spirit is gently inviting us to say, hey, ask me again. Ask me again. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. Well, I could go on to continue the story, but I don't want to take too much time. Zechariah... He actually is like filled with disbelief and he doesn't believe them. And so because of that, he is, he's rendered mute. That was like the Lord. I don't know what it was. I think he was like giving me a fist bump. It's fine. 
So he goes mute, okay? He cannot speak until the baby is born. And when the baby is born, he can speak. And he names him John. And you know what he does almost immediately? He, he pray, prays a prayer of prophecy out over his son and over, the, over his people. This is his response. Okay, let's look now at the person of Mary. Because we're going to see again that God works in our messes with miracles, and we get to partner through prayer. Now, Mary is assumed to be a teenager, 14 to 16 years old. And she would have been a key part of her family. She would have responsibilities. And she was a faithful Jew. She would have known the wonder of God's word, his prophecy over her people, that a Messiah was going to come from the line of David to save the people. But you know what? She was a girl of lowly status. She would not have been thinking, well, God's going to partner with me. He's going to do a work through me to save my people. No. That's not how she would have thought. Let's go to Luke 1.26. And we're going to read, when the angel comes to her, this is what he says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Do you know what's amazing about our wonder-working God? He actually chooses to partner with us to solve messes in our world. And that's actually what we're seeing here in the story of Mary, where God's work is actually going to create some mess in her life. You know, she, as she's hearing this information, she's not dumb. She's about to get married. She knows where babies come from. And there are questions that she has. You know what I love? The father, he, he doesn't care about our social status. He doesn't care about the circumstances. When our hearts are open to him, when he says, I see you and through you, I want to work out this mess in the world, it's an incredible opportunity. But Mary, listen, she's like, um, okay, this, okay, this is sounding kind of like a big deal. And could you maybe... Could you maybe explain it to me a little bit more? And I love this. Of course, this is, I'm not going to read it, but this is famously where the angel says, for nothing is impossible with God. Your old aunt, who has been barren, is now pregnant with a son. And in this moment, Mary realizes, okay, not only is what the, he, the angel's saying about me true, but obviously his work, he's working in other people's lives. And she goes all in. It's an incredible moment, and, and I think so often we, we, we rush over the work in Mary's life right here in this little moment where she says yes to all that God wants to do through her. Life is about to get really messy, but God is going to be with her. I love how interconnected these stories are. And how actually Elizabeth's story and the way that God's working in Elizabeth, Elizabeth's life actually encourages Mary and the work that God's about to do in her life. You know, I think that we should see the work of God in our friends and our family and our neighbors and each other as signposts instead of stumbling blocks. 
Because so often what can happen is, you know, when we're waiting on God to work and we're worried and we look around and we see, like, God's working there, God's working there, God's breaking through there. (sighs) When is it going to be my turn, God? And instead, I believe that Jesus just, again, wants to give us this fresh perspective that actually he is a wonder-working God and he is at work. This is a story of the impossible becoming possible. 70-something-year-olds don't become pregnant. Teenagers don't miraculously conceive. I could make a joke there, but I won't. There is miracle after miracle. There is work that God is doing in this story through people. And we get to participate through prayer. So what happens is after Mary agrees, a little while later she goes to see Elizabeth. And while she's with Elizabeth, she actually sings a song. She prays out to God. And I want to read that to us because it's beautiful what she says. Mary responded, remember, guys, she's 14 to 16 years old. But she understands this stuff. Let us not underestimate how much depth can come from the young ones. Listen to, what she sees, listen to what she prays out to God. Mary responded, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he has made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his children forever. Go back and reread all of Luke 1 this week. It's so rich. It's so powerful. This prayer, it's packed with, you know, God is holy and he's done mighty things in our lives. He, he notices us. Maybe you felt unseen in this season And you've wondered if God's work is actually going to happen. God sees you. He cares. He cares about the messes that are in your life. He humbles the proud, but he exalts the humble. He is faithful and his promises are true. This is a beautiful prayer that she prays out to God. God has worked and he is working. We see the wonder of God's work on display in this story, and we can partner with prayer as we wait. Okay, let's talk a little bit about prayer. This is how I'm going to end us today. You know, many of us, we're in this place. We're waiting for God to move. We need God to move, and we are so tempted to worry. And worry, it shows up in a lot of different ways. It shows up in our bodies. It shows up in our, in our mind, in our time. And so often it's these little things that we worry about that take up so much of our lives. And I believe that Jesus, he actually wants to show us a different way as we wait for his work. And so I'm going to take us back to Philippians 4. And I want to reread that verse to us because there's some really clear instructions. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. These are his instructions to us. Prayer is a pathway to God's work while we wait. 
And the instructions are really simple. And because God loves alliteration as much as I do, he had them both start with T. And they're going to be really easy to remember this week. So the first one is we're going to tell God what we need. What mountains do you need moved? What messes do you need cleaned? Where do you need the wonder-working power of God to move in your life right now? We're going to ask him small things and big things. I want to demystify this. God is a powerful, working God, and he cares about every aspect of our life. And so this week, I'm in the car, I'm driving, and I am feeling anxious. I can feel the worry piling up because my two-year-old woke up with a runny nose. And if you have children, you understand. It's like, oh, Lord, ain't nobody got time for that right now. I just, I can't, she cannot be sick, God. She cannot be sick. And I'm worried, and I'm driving, and I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, aren't you preaching on Philippians 4 this weekend? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, so. I was like, Oh, okay, okay, tell you what I need. Okay, God, what I need is I need her nose to stop running. I need her to be okay. I need there to be no more symptoms. I need it to go away, like, immediately. Okay, now, this is where a lot of us stop. We stop here, and we, okay, I told God what I need, okay. And then we wonder why we don't experience his peace. We wonder why we're still living in anxiety. Well, the reason is there's a second part to this equation. It's another T. Thank him for all he's done. And so right there in the car, I'm driving, and I say, God, thank you that since she's been in daycare, she's only missed two days. Thank you, God, that a couple other times that the kids got sick, she didn't get sick. Thank you that you are the healer and the great physician, and you can handle a runny nose. And I thanked him. And then what happened is I felt the peace of the Father flood my car, and I said to myself, I don't have to do this alone. So many of us, as we're waiting for God to work in little things and in big things, we're trying to do this alone. We're going to tell him what we need, and we're going to thank him for what he's done. And then the peace that passes all understanding is going to flood our hearts and minds. And so right now, I want you to get in touch with that place. Where is your heart needing God's power? Where do you need him to move in your life? And then this week, here's your step. Here's your one action. You're going to pray every day. You can do this. You can pray every day. It might be one minute. It might be 10 minutes. It might be an hour, and you're going to do two things during that prayer. You're going to tell him what you need, and you're going to thank him for all that he's done. And then we're going to experience God's peace flood our hearts. And I believe that God is going to move powerfully this week. But maybe even more importantly, we're going to experience his peace. And that's a gift that he wants to give us. And so I'm going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come as we transition into worship. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God of wonder-working power. We're so thankful that you are alive and active and that you're, you're present in our lives, God, and you're working and you're moving. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now for each person that we would understand the wonder-working ways of your love and power, God, that we, would, that we would partner with you in prayer, that we'd tell you what we need and we'd thank you, God, and that you'd gift us with your peace. And so right now as we worship you, Holy Spirit, we just say come and reveal our hearts, God. Come and encourage us. Come and strengthen us. We welcome you now, Holy Spirit, to come and have your way as we, as we worship and minister together. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you're gonna stand and we're gonna do the best part. Yeah. We're gonna worship Jesus. And we're going to tell him what we need. And we're going to thank him. And we just, we just 
encourage you to be free during this worship time. And after worship, I'll come back up and we'll do a little bit of ministry.